world-class guests, fascinating stories, inspiring messages. Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about self-care and emotional eating. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Cassie Christopher. Cassie is a registered dietitian, emotional eating expert, and the founder of Stress Less Weight Mastery. She is passionate about helping women love themselves better by overcoming barriers to self-care and healing emotional overeating. You can reach Cassie at her website, CassieChristopher.net, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Cassie. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Yes, thank you for having me. Okay, so I am super excited to be talking about this topic because it is so important and I know so many people that this affects personally, this, this emotional relationship that we have with food. And um, so I would love, if it's okay, can we start with your story? What, what brought you into this field? Yeah, thanks so much, Linda. Yeah, for me, I was um, actually in graduate school studying nutrition when I realized that I had an emotional eating problem. Oh. And what that would look like is I was so overwhelmed by the stress of being in grad school, my type A personality, you know, everything else, caring for, for what I need to care for, that I found myself going to our school convenience store to buy a bar of chocolate every day to help me cope. And, you know, then it would be... Um, carrot cake cupcake day with orange buttercream frosting and I would go back for a second one you know because it was just so good even though I was embarrassed that the same people saw me buying the cupcake more than once and and so it just became the way that I dealt with the difficulties of life at the time and the interesting thing is is everything I learned in grad school really didn't tell me anything about how to solve the problem. And actually, I found that it was making it worse. So the diets, the deprivation, eliminating food, you know, checking for food sensitivities, all of these things that nutrition people like to do, um, I ended up on this kind of yo-yo cycle of depriving myself, counting calories, carbs, points, whatever, um, trying to get my eating under control and have more willpower and self-control to then, you know, feeling deprived and so going the other way and overindulging and, and eating much too much and then feeling guilty about it. And, and the cycle really continued. So hold on for just a second. You're talking about here you are, you're studying about nutrition. You're going to college to learn, you know, the best of the best that, that, that all of the research has to offer. And the information was making it worse and creating a cyclical imbalance. So at what point were you able to kind of get off that, that cycle and come up with something that is a, a real viable solution? Because, I mean, it's so frustrating when we're trying to do what's right and the things that they tell us are not helpful. Right. Yeah, I, I so appreciate that reflection uh, because I, I know as I'm talking to people in this same position that I used to be in, that it's so frustrating when your doctor or a dietitian like me or, you know, someone who's supposed to know better um, gives you advice and then you end up failing because it doesn't actually solve the problem. Because what diets and changing eating habits do is they solve the issue of food. But with emotional eating, the problem isn't actually food. So what happens with emotional eating is you are using food to cope with, care for, comfort, 
avoid or numb your emotions. And that's really important to recognize that it's an emotional issue and not a food issue. And so I was trying to solve the issue with food. And for me, um, I, I didn't get the answer all at once. There was no lightning bolt of insight. It was slowly watching over the years of being a registered dietitian and starting to see what was working for people. Oh, interesting. Stress management. This person's really focused on their stress and they're starting to have success with their eating. This other person is really focused on balancing their blood sugar and, and now they're not having as many cravings, you know, really starting to watch what was working for my clients for their specific conditions and try out some of those same strategies. Uh, and it ca all came to a head when I was a new mom. And I think many parents can relate to this. And even if you're not a parent, the idea that this little human comes into the world that you have to keep alive and you kind of completely forget about yourself and do everything you can for this little human. And so for me, that meant Ritz crackers and that Tillamook aged white cheddar, <laughs> very specific, I like um, became my coping with, with this early stage of life. And what happened then was as I knew by then that, that dieting wasn't the answer that, um, you know, creating a meal plan or restricting or whatever was not going to solve the problem. And so I started to implement some of these strategies and get some help. Um, I went to a naturopath and looked at my hormones. I went to a therapist and did talk therapy. I, you know, read the research about behavior change science and really started my own journey of self care. And what I found was when I, cared for myself in some pretty key specific ways that I'd love to share with you and your audience, uh, then I didn't need food to care for myself in that way, in that emotional way. Does that make sense? Oh, I love this. Okay. So let's talk about what we need to do and self-care to put ourselves in a good situation. It's fascinating because here we are talking about food and then that the answer really isn't food. It's, it's going to heal our core self. You know, it's so interesting that no matter what topic we're talking about, that is always the key answer. It comes back to when we are in a good place on the inside, other things naturally fall into place. So what self-care things are specific that will help with the emotional eating situation? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this lately as unapologetic self-love. And I'm liking the word unapologetic because I think so often we feel guilty or there are barriers to self-care. And we can even talk about that later, what some of those may be. Um, and so this idea in my mind of unapologetic self-love um, has really in inspired me to, to actually do it unapologetically. So there's four key areas that I, I like to think of almost like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maybe you're familiar with the pyramid where you have to have your key needs met, you know, safety, food, water, shelter. And then you can kind of get up to the more working on the inside, um, self-actualization type stuff. And I think of that same idea for these self-love principles that we have to have a foundation of caring first for our body. And I can explain more in a moment. Um, and then the mind, the heart, and lastly, the soul. And when you have the self-love in these four key areas, you no longer need food to care for your emotions. And, 
your emotional eating is, if not healed, when you want to emotionally eat, it's a it's a um, a key for you. Okay, I need to go back and do some self care in these four areas. Okay. Yeah. So just kind of like a little uh, a, a dial your meter that says, oh, it's time to do a little more. Exactly. Like my the my check fuel is line. on empty. Yeah. Exactly. I like the check engine light better. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I, I like that perspective of a dial or check engine light because so often I think when we struggle, we're quick to judge and be frustrated. Um, but really wanting to emotionally eat, there's nothing wrong with you. It's first important to understand that the reason we do this is because it works. There are brain chemicals that make us feel good, that allow us to feel pleasure and reward and get a break from difficult things. And so, you know, we can have compassion for ourselves. Um, but obviously, you know, when, when I was in that place of using food to care for my emotions, it's not a healthy place. Um, it, it had consequences for me. And so the first area, body, is really caring for the nervous system because when you're stressed, when you've got that stress hormone cortisol, you know, racing through your body, like I did in grad school, um, you are going to be experiencing more cravings. You know, you're going to have more things that need to be coped with and dealt with. And so you can have, make, get a lot of traction towards healing emotional eating just by calming down that nervous system. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting when we're talking about body it's, it's not as much physical as it is emotional, that emotion. I mean, our, our nervous system is physical, but it, it is, it is interrelated with the way that we, um, the way that we feel emotionally, the way that we handle stress. So do you have some tips for what to do to help to kind of calm that down? Yes. Yes. I would love to. And, you know, uh, before I get into that, I want to share that, um, I work with women of 45 and up kind of in the midlife and beyond range. And the reason that this body piece is so important for that demographic is because uh, research shows that when you're going through the menopausal transition, you know, hormones may be out of balance for, for some time, and it actually can result in more of this stress hormone cortisol. So more of the stress hormone in your body that you're having to fight with and deal with and feel through and comfort with food, right, potentially. And then also, interestingly, at the same time, there's research that shows that women in this age group also have more stress than at other times in life. Interesting. And, you know, Why? I recently heard this referred to as um, the sandwich, and I think it makes a lot of sense that there may be adult children who are causing some stress. They and can do age, that. <laughs> and aging parents as well. Um. Um, if you're seeing me on video, you might recognize that um, that I am not in, in that age demographic. Age. No, yeah. <laughs> I am. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and my passion here is because you know women in this demographic have historically been underserved and just told, well, that's menopause, so deal with it. Um, but you know, as you just said, there are things you can do, and so the big thing that I recommend for helping really with emotional eating and definitely calm down the nervous system. It's not going to be what you expect. It's going to be a tip I learned from those people with diabetes trying to balance their blood sugar. And that is to eat regularly throughout the day. Okay. Get your protein, get your fiber and eat regularly. What I see happening 
a lot, like 75% of the time with women struggling with emotional eating. Again, it's not everyone, but it's, it's, it's a lot is they're just not eating enough during the day. And then nighttime comes around, they've had their dinner. And then after dinner, the, 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 the day catches up with them and they're, they physically have some hunger because they didn't eat enough during the day. But then also when you don't eat, you have more stress, more of the stress hormone cortisol that then needs to be dealt with. And so that catches up and you need food to comfort and calm. So if you can eat regularly, it, it in my experience, it takes away for some people about 75% of the food cravings just with that simple, simple tip to help with the nervous wow. system. So yeah. eat some breakfast, eat some lunch, have a snack. And then don't try to fit it all in between dinner and bedtime. Exactly. And I guess that's what most of us, most people are going to do that, that, that binge eating is when you're after work and you've had a chance to put your feet up, sit in front of the TV and eat everything you can find. Right. Because that, if you haven't been caring for your emotions throughout the day, and, and this kind of goes up to um, the heart uh, uh, self-care, but if you haven't been caring for your emotions throughout the day, then they, they catch up with you all at once. And oftentimes what we're doing when we sit down and watch TV and we eat a bowl of popcorn or chips is we're escaping. We're using TV, we're using this food to escape from having to feel and process how difficult the day has been. Mm. And so um, what can happen to you, and I really love in the book Burnout by the, uh, the sisters Amelia and I think Emily Nagasaki, I hope I'm saying your names correctly, they, they talk about um, you know emotions and stress as a tunnel. And I really like that analogy. Because if you go through a tunnel and you get to the other side, you're done with the tunnel and you kind of forget about it and it's not an issue anymore. But if you go through the tunnel and you put your brakes on and you stop in the middle of the tunnel, well, then you're stuck in the tunnel, right? Oh. And it's dark and you're dealing with the consequences of being in a tunnel. <laughs> and that's the same with emotions. It's the same with stress. You know, feeling is healing is the old adage. When you actually feel, you get to the other side. You're through it. It's a, it's a kind of a temporary thing that happens to you and it, it's done. Um, but if you escape or avoid and use food in these ways, then you're stuck in that tunnel. And you have to keep feeling the hard thing, the uncomfortable thing that you'd rather not feel. So you're stuck in the tunnel feeling and you, you, you keep eat, you have to keep eating that to avoid it. You have to keep escaping. You have to lose yourself in your work during the day, come home, lose, your, lose yourself in TV and, and, um, and eating. And it's not safe to be present because the minute you get present to your life, then you have to feel all the hard stuff. But isn't it ironic that you said that, you know, trying to go through that tunnel, the very process of trying to avoid it keeps us stuck in it yeah but but somehow we don't recognize it or else we wouldn't stay in the tunnel we would just work our way through it yeah. so hmm very interesting okay so when we talk about taking care of the body we really are taking care of the body the the physical step to take is to to go ahead and eat throughout the day and use that to to literally care for our physical needs mm -hmm. and then um and that also helps take care of our emotional needs. Awesome. So how about the heart? Yes. Yeah. So next up is actually the mind. Oh, oh, oh. we got to yeah. go up, not down. I, okay. Sorry. Exactly. No. <laughs> no, that's 
great. I love it. Um, the mind is next because what you believe about your health journey, your eating, yourself, all of that impacts whether or not it's safe to actually feel your emotions. Uh -huh. And so a key piece with the mind is um, watching out for two things. Okay. And that's going to be all or nothing thinking and self-criticism. Mm. So all or nothing thinking is something that happens where you believe you either have to be doing something perfectly and exactly right or not at all. And this is another reason diets can make it so hard to heal emotional eating because when you're dieting, you are doing all. And if you mess up, you know, oftentimes the, the, the language used around that is, you know, oh, I messed up. I went all the way back to how things used to be. There's, there's no middle ground. There's no gray area where you're just allowed to be human and make some progress and have some slip ups, right? Like it's either you're doing things perfectly or you're not doing things at all. And, you know, like I said, this happens with dieting. And especially for women who are in this menopausal um, age group and beyond, because it, it becomes in some ways like a self-fulfilling prophecy mm. that if someone's on a diet, you know, it, it, that can slow down metabolism, you know, losing weight slows down metabolism. And so they may, and then menopause and aging both independently slow metabolism. So someone may get to a place where when they're focusing on restriction, it really is true that if they mess up the littlest bit, the scale is going to respond. So this, you know, I like to bring that up because if you might be sitting there going, yeah, all or nothing thinking, but that's the way it has to be. Otherwise, it don't make any progress. Like, there's a good reason why we're stuck in that. But what happens is um, then you believe that any slip up means that you failed. And it's impossible to make progress, long-term progress, and get momentum. Either you're perfect or you're completely, you know, back to eating, numbing out on the couch with popcorn. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so the way to overcome that before we get to self-criticism um, is to pay attention to your thoughts. Notice when you're using uh, words, I call them sabotage words, like success, failure, should, ought, um, you know, Blew it is another one. You know, these, these things we say to ourselves that are markers of all or nothing thinking and then to reframe. So instead of that harsh language, is there something kinder, more true, you can say? Yeah, I'm surprised that success is on the list because I could see that one being a positive thing. Like, oh, I had success today. Yeah. So you what know, kinds of words would be more used. kind? then, you know, oh, I slipped up. It would be, what would, what would I say instead? Yeah. Um, it's so for this is where I go into the self-criticism piece because, oh, I slipped up usually is followed by, and I'm a loser and da, 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 right. It, even maybe it's that extreme, maybe it's not, but, but, um, I think to answer your question, the, the answer to that is self-compassion. And so there are three elements to self-compassion that you can use in your own thoughts. So if you say, oh, I slipped up, I'm such a loser, da da da, da. Um, The first element is self-kindness versus self-judgment. So right there, 
you know, the kind of adage that gets used, and I'm taking these three tenants from Dr. Kristen Neff's research, if, if anyone's totally into this, she's got a lot of really good books on the topic. Um, but what would you, what would a friend say to you? What would a loved one say to you? You know, what would, um, if you were loving yourself, what would you say to yourself? So you probably wouldn't say, ah, oh, I slipped up, right? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that to someone. I have decided to be the kind of person who is kind to myself. So I think saying something like that, like, oh, I am the kind of person who is kind to myself. Okay, I made a mistake, but I can do this. Yeah. Oh, I like that. What a beautiful affirmation. Um, I think if you don't already have shirts with that printed on it, um, I will take one. (laughs) I like that. All right. What's the second one? The second tenant is... um, common humanity versus isolation. So recognizing that you're not alone. Now, sometimes people will take this as an excuse to invalidate how they feel, meaning, well, other people have it worse. And, you know, I'm, I messed up and I have, you know, I'm suffering in this way, but other people have it worse. So I just should, you know, keep quiet about it, not complain. I should be fine. But the real intent here is for you to recognize you're not alone. You know, this, this isn't a shameful experience that you're struggling. Um, it's okay and normal to struggle. And, and that kind of connects you to other people so that you don't feel like you're just alone in your struggle. You have a tribe. You have other people who understand people who have made it through maybe on this, this, this pathway who were in front of you and people who are behind you that you can inspire by saying, wow, I did a good job today. I didn't yesterday, but today I did, you know. Yeah. Yes. And that's why I think part of my work that I do, even when I'm working one-on-one with people, I always like to include a group element um, because hearing from people who look like them, talk like them, have similar life experiences, like, yes, you're not crazy. Yes, this has happened. It can be really healing of a lot of the shame that we carry around about food in our bodies. Wow. Okay. And what was the third one? The third is mindfulness versus over-identification. So essentially recognizing that um, you are struggling, accepting that it's happening, and letting it be, letting yourself sit in the discomfort. You know, over-identification would be going so far where you feel like you're a victim. But I find that the people I work with don't struggle so much with over-identification. They struggle with just allowing themselves to be uncomfortable. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about like hormone imbalances. So you're working with particularly 45 and older, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, the stress and the hormones and the whatever, it felt like strike one, strike two, strike three. Ah, so what kind of, give me some hope, hey? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, um, if you are a woman, who is struggling with hormone imbalance related to menopause, oftentimes you probably hear from your doctors or other people in your life that there's nothing they can do. Maybe they'll say, go on a diet. I I talked to a lady the other day whose doctor suggested she do keto for her hot flashes. And I was just going, wait, what? (laughs) No, (laughs) that's not the answer. May I assume Um, her doctor was a man? Yes, yes, Linda. It's like you were there in the conversation. (laughs) Um, I said the same thing. Um, So yes, 
if you are not getting good medical care, there is good medical care available out there. And there is a company that I really like called Genev. It's G-E-N-N-E-V. And they make menopause doctors available to women over the internet. And you can have a 30-minute appointment with a menopause-specific doctor. Um, uh, They actually gave me a – I love them so much. They gave me a code. I don't get anything for it, but if you want a discount, you can use the code CASSIE20 at genev.com when you're checking out. And it ends up being like $80 for a 30-minute conversation with a menopause specialist who knows all about things like hormone replacement therapy and medication management and herbs and all of these things that women have questions about, someone who actually knows. So I want to throw that out there for your audience. Do you know, and I appreciate that because we talked earlier about how you, when you were going to school and getting the best information that they had available and it wasn't accurate or helpful. So I think when you find something that is accurate and helpful information, how important it is to get that information out there because there is a lot of misinformation and, and we're, we're trying to do our best. We're trying to do what, what someone in authority told us what to do. Right. And sometimes it's something like go on a keto diet because that their best information is not correct. So thank you for that. And, and can they prescribe? I mean, if you talk about a hormone, something they can. Okay, so you can get a prescription from them as well. Fascinating. It can help. And, and I've had clients I'm working with on emotional eating um, who also, you know, are seeing these doctors to get support just to level things out. Uh, and they're, they're feeling amazing. They're having great results. Um, and when I work with people, I'm focused really on the nervous system and that stress response. And we're balancing blood sugar and we're doing, you know, breath, breath work even, um, because that helps you calm that nervous system and, Research shows that if you practice your your breathing, which I know sounds funny, but two times a day for 15 minutes, there's great research that it actually reduces the amount of hot flashes that you will experience. So it goes to show you how all of these systems are so connected. That is so beautiful. So can we pause for just a second? Because that is going to help a lot of people. So when we talk about breathing for 15 minutes... Now, on the one hand, if I ever stopped breathing during the day, I would be dead. So I am breathing all day, but this breathing for 15 minutes, two times a day has to be something besides what it is that I'm already doing. So can you give me a little show what, I, what it is I'm supposed to be doing? Thank you so much. That is a really great point. So when we're doing breath breathing practices, um, what we're trying to do, I, I want to give you kind of the goal, and then you'll understand the methods, is we're trying to, if you put your hands right at the top of your ribs and you take a deep breath, so it expands your ribs. So we're not talking about tummy expansion, we're talking about rib expansion here. Your lungs are getting nice and full, your ribs are expanding. What that's doing is it's tugging on the vagal nerve. And the vagal nerve is the rest and digest nerve in your body. So it starts the resting and the digesting. It's great for the nervous system. So when we're doing breath practices, we're trying to keep that rib cage expanded and the the nervous system calm and that vagal nerve activated. So one breathing practice that I like to do with people is to do a count in of six, a hold of five, and a count out of, I'm sorry, four, five, six, count in of four, hold of five, 
and an exhale of six. But and I'll, I can show you what that looks like in a moment. But um, you have to recognize that the hold at the top, you know, that's going to expand the ribs, right, and and activate that vagus nerve. And then it's important to have a longer exhale than inhale, because imagine that you're you know, running from a saber-toothed tiger on the planes, like your mm -hmm. uh, nervous system is activated, you're going to have a, a longer inhale, <laughs> right? Like that kind of, we're running from a saber-toothed tiger breath. So you're telling your body that you're resting and digesting when you have a longer exhale. <sighs> so there's the difference. I just breathed in tickled everybody's earlobes with my breath. So thank you for that. Um, but essentially it could look like this, an in-breath for four, one, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, out, two, three, four, five, six. Nice. And then just do that for 15 minutes, but use it twice a day. So probably in the morning and in the evening. If you did that, you would do so many amazing things. And I love, I'm not super good at the, the, the mindfulness exercises where it includes just hold still and think of nothing. I would do yeah. better counting and thinking about breathing in and out because I'm a woman and I don't have a nothing box and it's hard for me to think about nothing, but I can think about counting and breathing and that's pretty simple. That's almost nothing. And I just want to say too, because even as you, even as I hear you repeat back to me two times a day for 15 minutes, my mind's going... Oh, that feels so overwhelming. <laughs> um, and, and that's, you know, that's just what the research has been. They didn't, they didn't research five minutes a day. Like that was what some researcher chose to look at. Right. And so I believe there's even benefits to do it as you fall asleep or while you're in the car, like for a couple stolen minutes here and there, there's going to be benefit from doing it. Um, if it, cause I think right off the bat, committing to, to 30 minutes might feel overwhelming for sure. And I'm glad you brought that out. And I actually spoke with a, a mindfulness expert just a, a short while ago. And she says she has people start with one minute and she says, and you'd be amazed at the difference that you feel after one minute and that it feels long. So, um, that's a, that's a great point. So let's start with one minute or if we're doing awesome five and then if you want to be part of that research group that had that results, then we can move it to 15. But, but start, just start. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, the, the third uh, self-love um, pillar here is heart. And that is where we're dealing with emotions. And that's, again, where self-compassion, which I already shared, those three tenets, comes into play because when you are kind to yourself, it creates a safe space to sit with the discomfort of difficult emotions. Um, and so once you have the body piece and the nervous system calmed down and the thoughts are supportive and helpful and kind, then it creates space for you to maybe do some reflection exercises or go for a walk or journal and think about how you feel. Um, and, and know that it might be uncomfortable that, but in order to get through the tunnel and leave the discomfort, you have to feel the discomfort for a while. That is beautiful. That's amazing. I love the comment, a safe place, yeah. because we all love to be in a safe place and to make our own heart a safe place. 
that means that I can, I can feel these things and I'm going to be kind and I am going to be compassionate to myself. And I love that you have that analogy of the tunnel because that gives me a, a reason to go through. So I have some motivation to do it and I have the power to do it because I am a safe place. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful place to start because then it doesn't yeah. matter who else I'm around. It doesn't matter what the circumstances in my life. I can be a safe place for myself. And I take myself with me everywhere I go. <laughs> and you're kind to yourself. <laughs> so yes, I love this. More shirts. <laughs> I'm a safe place for myself. Um, you know, that's important. I love that reflection. I so appreciate you pulling that out because I would say most of the women I work with have some history of trauma in their life. And that trauma has taught them that it's not safe to inhabit their bodies, you know, if it was maybe sexual abuse, or it's not safe to, to share their emotions if it's emotional abuse. And, and the women I work with are usually women who've done years of therapy. Like they've worked on the trauma. They, um, they are confused as to why that hasn't seemed to translate to their relationship with food. And what I find is that past trauma does change the way that your nervous system responds to things. And so it makes it that much more important to calm things down so that you can feel safe in your body. So thank you. I think that safety is a big piece. Mm. And I love that you brought up those past traumas. I wish that weren't common, but it is. And I have spoken with so many people who are dealing with this trauma or that trauma or the other trauma. And like you mentioned with that tunnel, um, if you're stuck in it, you're still in it and it's still affecting you. And so that's, again, you got to start somewhere, but if you can be kind to yourself and work through it and come out the other side where there's sunlight again... Um, there is hope. And I love that. I love that there is hope. And I spoke recently with another counselor who, who helped people with PTSD and, and sexual trauma and things like that. And, and the hope is, you know, and back, they, they didn't used to know what to do with these kinds of things, but now they do. And it's absolutely treatable. And I think that's so wonderful that we don't have to stay stuck in our tunnels, that there's help out there, really good help available. So thank you for people like you who study so that there's good help available. And thank you for visiting with me today and sharing your wisdom. I have loved it. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Jessica Ortner. She said, You can't hate yourself happy. You can't criticize yourself thin. You can't shame yourself worthy. Real change begins with self-love and self-care. Today, I invite you to embrace happiness and health by beginning with self-love and self-care. See you next time on Linda's Corner.